You're listening to the Star Wars Report's Rebels Roundtable, the official Star Wars Rebels discussion podcast of StarWarsReport.com. Join us each week as we discuss each new episode. We want to hear what you think of this new Star Wars series. Send us an email or an MP3 at RebelsRoundtable at StarWarsFanWorks.com. Follow us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash RebelsRoundtable, on Twitter at RebelsRound, or on our website, RebelsRoundtable.com. It's a long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. So strap yourselves in, and welcome to the show. Good evening, and welcome back to the original Rebels Roundtable, the official podcast of the Star Wars Report covering all things Rebels animated series. And we're back tonight to discuss the second part of the first arc of Season 2, Relics of the Old Republic. And joining me again to discuss this hopefully more engaging episode is Jen. Hey, guys. Barrett. Hello, hello, hello. And Nathan. Hey, guys. I'm glad you're not dead. And that's what I always like to hear when I talk to you guys. So, yes, we're talking about the second part of the first duology. And, wow, the best thing I can say about it is it was better than last week. We get some action and some more clones shenanigans. I'm not sure what you call it. And uh, I don't know. What did you guys think? This episode better than last week, worse than last week, or about the same? Jen, I'm going to make you go first. I thought this was a lot better than last week. That's not, like, the bar was pretty low, <laughs> but at least in my opinion. But, like, I thought this was a lot better. It wasn't, like, great. There was some goofy stuff in there. But, like, we didn't go fishing using a... A, you know, crew member as bait this week, which is always, you know, a plus. But, like, there was some, like you said, clone shenanigans, which I thought were hilarious. There are a couple of moments that we'll probably get to that I was laughing out loud just because it was fun. So this is a decent, a pretty big improvement, in my opinion, over the last episode. Barrett? I don't think it's any doubt. This is much better episode. I mean, I like the last episode, but this is much better episode. This is Clone Wars. This is Rebels. This is what we want. We want fighting. We want the struggle against the unstoppable empire. This is what we want. And this is what we got. So I'm happy. I can't wait to start talking about it. Nathan, enlighten us. You know, you guys, you're probably gonna be disappointed, but I kind of felt like last episode wasn't bad. It just left me flat. This episode, kind of the same. It was better than last week, but as Jen said, you know, the bar wasn't very high for that. It still left me feeling kind of meh. I mean, there are parts of it that I was like, yes, that's awesome. And there was a moment that really gave me the feels. But from the standpoint of of comparing this quality-wise to anything we've seen with Rebels before, I still think it's still a little bit subpar. It's almost like this episode and last were just there because they need to find a way to get Rex into the rest of the series, and that's a big enough deal. Let's do it as two episodes, but it's kind of a let's just build whatever we can around it just to make it work sort of a thing. And I think my overall impression, like yours, is that this was a better episode than last week, but again, I think I'm going to have to follow on Nathan on, on this I think after last season, I expect more from Rebels than what we've gotten with these two episodes. 
I think that bringing Rex and the other clones sort of back into the fold, you could have done it in a more engaging way than what we got. That being said, I really did like certain aspects of this episode. I think the introduction of, I guess, the first generation AT-80s was cool, and I think the battle between the ATTE and the AT-80s was good. But then there were certain moments that I was just like, really, we're doing this? And the one that sticks out for me the most is jumping almost to the end of the episode when Agent Callis and the two drivers from his his walker kind of go off. There's one, The two of them are on the speeder, and then there's this one that's chasing after him, and he literally just puts his hands up in the air and flails them about <laughs> as he runs. I seriously look at that, and I went, really? This is what Rebels is now? And that, that I'm sorry, that pissed me off. I knew you were going to say that. I knew you were going to say that. That was too much to miss. I mean, if that's the one thing, that's the only thing they give us this episode, I I can give it a MacGuffin. But that was totally asinine. You know, I laughed at that because I still think it's sort of in fitting with this era's humor and the humor of the classic trilogy. At least he wasn't waving his hands and going, eek, or as he ran, which is probably what we would have gotten if this was written in the mindset of, say, the Phantom Menace and the Jar Jar slapstick humor. It was funny, but it still kind of fit. Yeah, he was panicked and he was running and he just got left behind. It's a little over-exaggerated, but it's a cartoon, so I could see it. That one didn't actually bother me. I actually laughed literally out loud, which, you know, my wife gave me that stink eye like, that wasn't funny. But I laughed. Was that really any worse than at the start of last season, though, when they when Kalis like knocks one of the troopers off of like a bridge or something and murders him? He has like that comedic Bugs Bunny moment. Like I thought this was dumb, but it wasn't any more dumb than some of the stuff they've done in the previous season. Now, if it had irised out at that moment, then when yes, we would have needed Zeb or someone to <laughs> pop their head out and say, "That's all, folks." But Irish it goes down. on from there. All right, but that's at the end of the episode. Why don't we start with the beginning? We pick up kind of where they left off last episode. They know the Empire is coming, and they're trying to fix the Phantom so they can get off the planet, at the same time as Hera and Chopper are trying to fix the Ghost so that they can leave the system. And it was one of those things that I kind of laugh, and it's a, a typical trope. Nope, they're not here yet, and yep. As soon as she says that, the Star Destroyer jumps into the system. But that's where my problems begin. I have relatively little problem with what's happening on the ground. I think that worked fairly well. And there are actually some moments where there was some tension for me because I wasn't quite sure when they were going to bring Rex back. So maybe they were going to leave him behind. Who knows? So the ground stuff was fine. But I'm looking at the space part of this, whether it's when the Star Destroyer shows up, when it's right over the ghost, when the TIE fighters come screaming by, and I'm thinking, are you blind? Shut down the power. They're right on top of us, flying by us with actual viewports in the case of the TIE fighters, but no, nobody can see the ghost. Nobody can check and see that, oh, look, that's the ship that screwed over Callus and his mission over and over and over again. Again, I... As we did last episode, I had a Cooney moment, a stupid, you're so stupid kind of thing with thinking about the Empire. It would have been better if Hera 
went to ground somewhere, if she found somewhere to go into like a, a, a mist cloud or a nebula, uh, do something sublight together while fixing the hyperdriver or something. Because this makes the Empire look really freaking stupid that they don't see the ghost right off their bow just because she turned off the power and she's whispering. WTF, <laughs> folks. WTF. I'm going to have to kind of disagree with you because to quote Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, space is big, really big. And, you know, just because they're in the same planetary orbit, you don't notice everything. They're right next to each other. <laughs> Line of this, sight, man. This, this, they is, got this, windows. Is, <laughs> this is like you said, well, Georgia's big. Yeah, but see, if my neighbor's standing outside and I can hear him, I know where he is. It doesn't matter if Georgia is huge or the U.S. is huge or Earth is huge. It, it's like it's like when you watch the show and you have the guy who set up the police officer, like Breaking Bad. You know, he's kind of like parked down the street. You don't know how far down the street he is. But he can be this, pretty far. And, this, and I, I this agree. Is Mar- this is Marty space McFly. is relative in space. This is Marty McFly. That in the back of Biff's car talking to Doc and somehow not being heard or seen. That's what this is. Okay, I guess you didn't have a problem with the uh, the AT-AT driver running around and flapping his arms. I didn't have a problem <laughs> with this. This didn't bother me. Other stuff bothered me. This didn't bother me. <laughs> I guess. The Star Destroyer does jump into the system, and it sends four ties down to search for the ATTE and the clone troopers. And Callus contacts the wolf specifically to try to get the information about the rebels. And Wolf tries bluffing him and it doesn't go over so well. And it's just, it's funny. I, I think when you get the, the TIE fighter, the one TIE fighter, because they've obviously broken up to search, strafing the ATTE. I think that's kind of an interesting sequence. Can we back up for just a minute? Because I just want to say that I really, really loved Rex's little bring it moment where, where he's telling Kalis like, you're going to need all of your guys because we're going to kick your butt. Like, I just thought that was fun. (laughs) Oh, that, that was great. Where he goes, I hope you have a better class of soldier than those stormtroopers." It's like, I have many, it was a great many of them. At, or, or they serve the Empire well and have a great many of them. It's, that's the perfect comparison, right, to the clone troopers, because the clone troopers were effective even in small groups because they were bred for this. And here's the stormtroopers. I'm just going to throw a bunch of them at you and hope they shoot something this time. But, you know, in retrospect, what's funny is when they when they do go down to the planet, it's callous and six troopers. Because apparently in those walkers, they didn't have any troopers. You know, Callus has a great respect, I think, for Commander Wolf, because apparently they both take the same grooming habit uh, advice. <laughs> uh, I will say that isn't it at this point, though, when the when the TIE fighters coming down and they're talking about how they're going to take it out? Maybe they're talking about the rocket launcher. But at some point, don't they talk about how they've only got one shot? Or, you know, we could take him out with the main cannon, but one shot's all it'll take, but one shot may be all that we have. And then they spend the rest of the episode firing that cannon? No, they said that, they say that the cannon is not the appropriate weapon for this type of fighting. They said they can't use the cannon, because Ezra asks him, well, why aren't we using the main cannon? He goes, well, it's not good for this. 
So it's later that they completely contradict themselves by saying they're only going to get one shot. Or is the one shot referring to this rocket launcher? I forget no, when that no. is said, but I remember scratching the my head. One shot was because they were undercover, and as soon as they fired, they were going to give their position away. Oh, okay, because that was that. That let me saying what I, I figured there had to be an explanation. That kind of thing couldn't be that blatant. Good. I'm glad we made you feel better about that. Nathan. I, feel, I do feel better about that now. Still don't feel it was good about the ghost in the starter story, but I feel better about that. I, I thought it was kind of nice how they kind of brought back those Clone Wars, I don't know, bits. Like when Zeb is using that auto blaster and it looked really small in his hands, didn't it? You know, this was one of the scenes, you know, basically we haven't really discussed this much, but the whole cinematic presence of, of Rebels and I'm looking at a, a kind of a steel right now, and it shows like Kanan, he's on top of the cannon with his lightsaber ignited. And you have Zeb, as you said, Jonathan holding that Gatling gun. And you've got Sabine in full armor and, and the clones. And it is gorgeous. It is beautiful to see this. And you had mentioned in the last show, Nathan, or, or, Jen had mentioned in the last show that about the, the desert planet and how it's kind of desolate. And the last time we saw uh, a, a planet like this was with Gascon and and kind of going in circles. And it was with the with the droids and going in circles. They've kind of brought the planet to life with with this episode, with with the storm and how the clones have can use the planets the planet as as an offensive weapon against its enemy. I mean, it, it, it's this is a great great scene. There were a lot of things about this sequence that I thought worked really, really well. The thing that sticks out for me is when you have that point of view shot of the TIE fighter strafing the, uh, the walker. That was just beautiful. I thought that was, that was a real, as you put it, Barrent, a cinematic sequence. A lot of shots panning where they're walking on top of the ATTE and they're panning around them. I mean, it's, it's really, really quality programming here. It did, and they got the sound design very, very well done. I mean, the at-ats, I mean, it's kind of, well, AT-ATs, I always say at-at. The AT-ATs, the walker sound, that is something that is very iconic and they work it in well, but it's not overdone when you're listening to it on a good sound system. It's, it has that same sort of quality that you would get as watching the Battle of Hoth. All the design elements going into this were were really, really solid overall, it seems like. You know, when during the battle of the ATTE and the ATATs, I had a mixed feeling about this battle. I really didn't know who I wanted to win because the AT-ATs are my mechanical death machine of choice. You know, that's what I grew up with. And then we got this new ATTE in the Clone Wars and... You know, depending on who you talk to, depending on what season it is, the Clone Wars is a hit or miss. So I got chills when I had these two machines going after each other. And I I wonder other people who've seen this where they grew up with the Clone Wars. And if they think that the the ATTE is their machine and, you know, us older chaps how we who we wanted to win you know what i'm saying it was kind of a weird feeling there and then i want to of course we want captain rex to but it was a weird feeling for me i I still can't explain it right now what i found interesting is the scale difference between the two vehicles when later in the episode they're actually butting up against each other and wolf is trying to actually take out the walker 
Walker's feet by its ankles, and you realize just how much bigger those adats are than the ATTE. Well, and bear in mind, they do say, again, going back to Rebels Recon, these ATATs are bigger than the ATATs at the Battle of Hoth. These are like a first generation that are taller uh, and broader than what we get later. So I think a, a lot of our perceptions of the ATATs are what we see in the relative scale compared to, say, Luke running on the ground in the Battle of Hoth, whereas we, our sense of scale is completely thrown off here because these are so much bigger than what we saw before. I'm not sure that if it was an ATTE versus one of the ones at the Battle of Hoth that we would have seen quite as dramatic of a difference. But then again, I'm not sure they could have done the whole it's almost walking up the legs thing with that kind of scale. They almost needed to be bigger. But how much bigger were they? I mean, I, I didn't get the uh, the sense that these Generation 1 AT-ATs were that much bigger. I mean, it kind of made sense that when you're in a war, you know, you need that tank-style att But it was just the way that they had to maneuver each one to try to outmaneuver the other and the different strengths and weaknesses. It was a well-put-together battle. I guess as we move into the sandstorm and and whatnot, I will say also to the specific point that I think it was Jonathan made about Zeb with that heavy cannon, the, the Gatling gun, basically. I just today, in the midst of this massive Star Wars story group canon rewatch of all the the movies and TV series and stuff before we get to The Force Awakens, I just watched the first two of the Domino Squad episodes. And seeing that again today, right before recording, rewatching this episode and earlier in the day, seeing Heavy with it, knowing Heavy's sacrifice, it had a different impact on me. So I think the, the more familiar someone is, the more recent someone has seen The Clone Wars and really watched it in depth, the more they're probably going to feel drawn into this episode's nuances, whereas a new fan is going to miss it. But unlike sometimes where they throw something out in your face saying, you know, remember this, remember this, remember this, this episode doesn't do that as much. It's handled in a way that new fans and fans of the Clone Wars can both enjoy without detracting from one or the other. I don't know. There were a lot of things in this episode that made me think of other stuff. I mean, there's obvious callbacks to Empire Strikes Back when Callus goes, prepare for ground assault. I mean, obviously, that's from the Empire Strikes Back. And then with the ATTE walking around in the sandstorm and trying to outmaneuver the the AT-ATs, I don't know. I, <laughs> the thing that kept coming back to me was actually Star Trek II. He also says intensify forward firepower, which that was the one where it was like, that's too much. Like, we've referenced Star Wars too much in our Star Wars. Like, stop. Please stop. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Both of those, to me, were moments of, did you have to say it like that? Prepare for ground assault. Why don't you just say launch the AT-ATs? Or, hey, they're on the surface, so no kidding you're going to do a ground assault. Do you have to tell them to prepare for it? Shouldn't they be prepared for it already? Well... Why the hell didn't they do an orbital bombardment? I mean, why bother? You know exactly where they are. Just bomb them. Send a couple of TIE bombers. What? Hey, wait a minute. You sent one TIE and it was shot down. What were the other three? You know, I'm glad you brought that up, Jonathan. As you do bring up good points. Ever since our first Inquisitor has died, I have been trying to go back and see kind of what led up to the death, kind of where the bad decisions were made. And up to this point, Callus has been kind of solid 
At least last season he was. Last episode, he's not so solid. You kind of think he is by investigating every lead, but he does call the clones right before he shows up and tells them he's right there. When he knew where they were at, all he had to do was show up and have the element of surprise. Instead, he go ahead and tells them that he's there for them to prepare for him. Second, he could have done the bombardment, but he goes down there with so little troops to get the job done. That's number two. Uh, bad decision that this guy's making. I'm thinking this guy's dead. You know, it's only a matter of time. Either Vader's going to kill him or whatever, but he's not. He's he's starting to have chips in his armor that he did not have in season one. It's that imperial overconfidence, right, that Luke references in The Emperor in Return of the Jedi. Your overconfidence is your weakness. And here he is thinking he knows exactly what to do. He doesn't need to do an orbital bombardment. He can send down the fighters. He can send down the ATATs. Maybe he just wants to play with the Empire's new toys because... The clones don't recognize the walkers. They're apparently a new generation of walker. As for the ties, look, if they couldn't see the ghost, they're not going to see the walker. I think the ties, we just have to write off. But, like, that defies physics. Like, you, sound moves slower than light. They should be able to see things before they hear them. That drove me crazy. <laughs> Listen, don't get me started on tie fighters, Okay. You see some, like in The Force Awakens, a tri- uh, you know, you see some TIE fighters that can kind of orbit and hover and turn around. Even in the Rebels, we've seen how TIE fighters can turn a 360 degrees as they're hovering maybe four or five feet off the ground. Why they still have to fly past you a hundred yards and then turn around and come back like their old World War II planes doesn't make any sense. They shouldn't have to do that anymore. They should go by you and be able to turn at, at 360 like they like they do so sometimes a tie fighter can do one thing and sometimes they can do another they're very inconsistent they're very inconsistent ships in the star wars universe so what do you think the the other thing that i did like about this episode and maybe we're kind of setting it up is especially when the tie fighter comes in rex is kind of coaching them, you know, lead your fire, you're wasting ammo. He's really taking that sort of leadership teacher role with the group. Uh, do you think this is what he's going to evolve into for the rebellion? I just like that they added that and had that as a moment. I don't know what that, I don't know if they're like telegraphing what they're going to do with Rex, but I really appreciate it that like he has all of his experience. Like there's a, there's a line. I think Gregor says it like I was bred for this. Like it's, it's in their DNA almost literally. And, and I love that they're kind of just like, Oh, we got this. This is fine. And like Gregor's so cavalier about taking that shot at the tie fighter, which that was one of the moments in the, this episode that had me laughing out loud, just because that was really gratifying. That. And when Gregor goes, we haven't been shot at in a long time. <laughs> I thought that was hilarious. <laughs> I thought that was hilarious. We finally got little Billy out there to play with the firecrackers again after he blew a finger off, right? I don't know. I think that the the, the mentor role here would be interesting because everybody always, when they're talking about Star Wars and mentor figures, refers everyone to, oh, well, it's going to be the new Obi-Wan, going to be the new Obi-Wan, going to be the new Obi-Wan. Okay, but maybe this is a character who's going to be like the new Obi-Wan, except this isn't a Jedi. I don't think that's something that really has entered people's minds. We're so busy thinking about what role Ahsoka is going to take. That to think of him as sort of the wise old man who just doesn't happen to be a Jedi but has all that combat experience, it makes absolute logical sense, but it's not something that seems like it's been bandied about nearly as much. For me, what I liked is that this is a guy who's being a leader, 
he's sharing his knowledge because that's just kind of who he is. And remember that Ezra is only at this point a year older than Ahsoka was when we met her, uh, 14, so now he's 15. And at the same time, though, when Kanan finally steps up and starts giving orders, yes, General, aye, aye, sir, right? I, uh, with a Jedi as our general and so on and so on, that it's sort of like he's falling into that pattern where he's a leader when he needs to be a leader, but he's also still got the Jedi sort of up on this pedestal that he's going to follow any time that he can. It's like he was compensating for Kanan for a little bit, uh, which makes me kind of wonder if that's a role he's going to wind up taking, if he'll be the leader or the follower in the near future, or if he's going to stay in that odd middle ground where for younger characters, he's a mentor. But for, say, Ahsoka and Kanan, he's taking orders. The big question is going to be, is he going to start looking at Ezra as a commander and take Ezra's orders, whereas here, he's giving advice? Well, the other thing is... When they move into the sandstorm, Rex knows Kanan's capabilities. He knows what Kanan can do better than Kanan does. Because he's like, well, if we're in there, nobody's going to be able to see. And Rex is like, but a Jedi will. And that hadn't even occurred to Kanan. I'm wondering if Rex is going to be forcing Kanan to, I guess, develop and evolve in a different way. I thought it was more just that... Rex has the the battle experience and these characters who have been kind of eking out in existence and doing these little tiny, you know, smash and grab jobs on Lothal are now being kind of inadvertently, unwillingly even maybe turned into, you know, troopers, into warriors. They're going to have to fight what's effectively going to be like a guerrilla war. And Rex is lending his expertise and, and Kanan isn't used to using his Jedi abilities in that way. So I think that's, I don't know if he's Rex is deliberately trying to do that. It's just another piece of training for, for Kanan in a way. Well, remember also that, I mean, we're used to thinking of the Padawans with Ahsoka's knowledge level because we saw her develop through the Clone Wars, but for Kanan, he was just barely a Padawan just as far as his age is concerned. I mean, he was 14 at the time of Order 66. So he hadn't had the years of experience as a Padawan working with an experienced Jedi Master or Jedi Knight that Ahsoka would have. He really was sort of cut off right as a formative part of his Jedi training was about to begin. So he may wind up really just not having a clue what his capabilities are. It'd be interesting to see how his skills have progressed and to what degree he's been able to sort of figure things out on his own. As far as we know... Based on Kane and the Last Padawan, based on A New Dawn and what they've told us here in the show, so far we haven't been given any inkling that he had any kind of training whatsoever as a Jedi between Order 66 and him going into hiding and whatnot and what we find in A New Dawn where he's been hiding for so long. He, he may have had stunted ability growth, so to speak. He's like the guy in the zombie apocalypse who shouldn't be alive. But somehow he's managed to, without any training, to, to, to make it, you know? What I wanted to ask you guys is this. We have, recently, we've got introduced to a new droid, right? BB-8. And before BB-8, we just got introduced to a pretty relatively new droid, right? A chopper. And chopper, I, 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 I wonder how they're going to work this in. Because we've already got... Not that BB-8 is going to be in Rebels, but we've already got R2-D2, right, who people love. 
Chopper, I, I, I've kind of got mixed messages about, but people love BB-8. So Chopper is in here. He's front and center. And I swear, I'm, able, I'm starting to understand Chopper. He's talking to me. Does anybody else understand what Chopper was saying? I could have swore Chopper said, I have a bad feeling about this. And he said, she's saying to him, you know, you're slow. You're working on it slow. And he says, look who's talking. Is anybody else understanding Chopper more? I guess I'm liking him more. That sigh that he gave at the end, though, was just hilarious. <laughs> I love that bit. You know, you ask, like, how are people going to react to Chopper? Is he going to be loved like BB-8 and R2-D2? I don't think Chopper could give a flying Minoc what anybody thinks of him. And I kind of like that about Chopper. And if you piss him off, he'll kill you. Yeah. <laughs> or if you're going to replace him, he'll kill you. Or if you're just a random stormtrooper near an airlock, he'll kill you, and so on. <laughs> I don't know. I I guess when I knew Rex was coming back in the previews, I was wondering how they were going to use him and, and how he would make a difference. But after seeing this episode, I can really get it. I, I get what he could bring to the Rebellion. You know... I think about that too, but the more I think about it, the more I know that Rex and Wolf and Gregor and Ahsoka, they're all doomed. I mean, they're bringing these people back from the Clone Wars who all know Anakin as Anakin and not Darth Vader. You know, the clones are back now with, with Ahsoka, who Ahsoka didn't go anywhere. She said that she was going to investigate something. She didn't go anywhere. She was there when they got back. You, but you don't think she could have left and come back? She, I don't know. She didn't say anything about she looked. I, I got the feeling that she didn't go anywhere. Maybe she, she did some some Google searches <laughs> or something. But it, 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 I'm getting the feeling that they're bringing these people back from Darth Vader's past. And they're all going to die, <laughs> to put it mildly. Which brings up a question for me. How much does Rex know? He's talking about Anakin as the Jedi general that he fought under, who was the best general, and he's he's telling Ezra, you know, what an inspiration he was and how he learned all these things. And he sees later in the episode Kanan and Ezra and Zeb land on a land on a walker and cut into it and he's like, just like old times, and it made me think about the Clone Wars movie where Annika did the same thing to a tri-droid. And how much does Rex know? I mean, does he have any inkling of what's happened to Anakin? Does he believe that Anakin died? What What do you guys think? I'm kind of hoping that he thinks Anakin died, because he he's showing so much faith in Anakin even now in the way that he talks about him. And unless he's going to pull a, you know, well, the good man who was Anakin Skywalker was destroyed. He's now twisted and evil and use an Obi-Wan rationale to think of them as two separate people. It would seem odd that he would refer to him this way if he knew that Anakin had become Vader. Maybe he thinks Anakin's alive out there somewhere, but I would assume that at this point with no contact, he would assume that he's dead. I like the idea of a juxtaposition in how they would deal with it if and when they encounter Vader, if that's when Ahsoka has it confirmed and when he has it confirmed. Because Ahsoka has an inkling because of the Force, and now she's looking for answers. For Ahsoka, I think finding out that that Anakin is alive as Vader would cause her to sort of be like resigned to this. Like, she always saw it coming. She knew he was leaning that direction at different times, and she tried to ignore it. And now, here he is. 
resigned to what must be. Whereas I think for Rex, it'd be a heartbreak moment. It would, it would destroy the man that the person that he looked up to for so long and thought of as this great Jedi general that he trusted and, and put his life in the hands of became this and is doing all of these things, killing innocents and so forth. I would imagine Rex must have been out of the picture prior to Order 66, still somehow serving the clones, but not anywhere near Anakin. So he couldn't have been in the 501st during the attack on the temple and really does still think as highly of Anakin as it sounds like here. That, as I said, the juxtaposition between those two reactions, I think would be fascinating to watch, especially if both Rex and Ahsoka managed to survive an encounter with Vader. You know, I have, I got the exact opposite. I think he does know that Anakin is Vader. I think, cause he had mentioned that towards the end of the war, he started questioning what it was all for. And we got a, a piece of that before. I can't remember what the episode was, but when, remember we got stuck on the farm with the Twi'lek French girl and the kid? Um, the deserter was the episode with Cut The LeQuain. deserter. Right. Cut LeQuain. And he started thinking about it then. But I think he does know. I think he was around. He says that we didn't turn on. Some of us didn't turn on our Jedi. We we got our, our chips out. I think he knows. It was plain as hell that Anakin went to the Jedi Temple and started tearing everything up. So he had already been Darth Vader. I think he knows. And I think he may be able to give Ahsoka um, some hard facts. Oh, God. So do you, if that's true... Maybe his, you know, some of us didn't betray the Jedi or whatever. You think maybe his his tone of regret isn't about what happened with the other clones of the Jedi, but the tone of regret could be that he did participate in what happened at the Jedi Temple? Possibly. And and the thing is, with military people, too, uh, it's they tend to forgive certain things for the greater good. You know, military people, they have to do certain things sometimes in war that aren't honorable, but the overall mission is for peace. And so they can forgive things. I mean, you, 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 military people will, will honor another military person and tend to forgive certain things that they've done. Okay. Well, if Rex participated in the sacking of the temple, how is Ahsoka going to get past that? Maybe Ahsoka doesn't know. Ahsoka was gone. We know Ahsoka wasn't there. She had left the, the Jedi Order. Maybe she does not know. Did you get that feeling that that he was holding something back when they hugged each other at the end? I don't know, but if she doesn't know, what's going to happen when she learns? I don't. If she does learn, I don't think they're going to be alive long enough to to worry about it. The other idea is that he was saying some of us didn't betray our our Jedi. And the way he left that hanging made me almost wonder if he was going to continue and say some of our Jedi betrayed us. And maybe he does know about Anakin because as far as you know, he wasn't there at the sacking of the temple. There was a different commander. And why? Where was Rex? What was going on? Did he already have his chip out? He must have. Like what? There's a huge gap in this character's timeline that I'm, I'm both really interested in learning what happened and also kind of terrified because I don't know if I trust them to do a good job. Well, I hope we learn it. I really hope that we learn it because I think that would be fascinating. You know, what was Rex doing? At what point did he remove his chip? Now he does say that his chip was removed and he didn't participate in order 66. So where was he exactly? At what point did he walk away and 
If it was prior to Order 66, why did the Republic slash Empire let him do it? Well, it would almost have to be after, though, right? Because he even says when they're talking in the previous episode about the different um, base locations and whatnot, he's saying there are some bases and whatnot that I didn't turn over to the Empire. So at least at some point, he must have been working for them. Otherwise, why would he have turned over anything to the Empire as part of his duty? Yeah, he stayed in. He was there. He was there. And I think Wolf was there, too. And that's why Wolf's freaked out. They were there. He knows what's up. He he knows that Anakin is Vader. And I think we'll probably find that out soon. I would say that I'm not entirely sure that he knows Anakin is Vader as in in the armor. But I think it's possible that he was there long enough to know that Anakin went and slaughtered younglings. Or if he worked for the Empire, he may have come across Darth Vader uh, while working there. You know, I think he knows. But remember, it's not public knowledge that Vader was Anakin. Right, for other people. But if, like I said, these are big ifs, but if anyone was to know and anybody knew Anakin's fighting style and Anakin, it would be Rex. Well, hell, if Tarkin could figure it out from the little bit of time they spent (laughs) together, as we found out in the Tarkin novel that he pretty much had figured it out, surely Rex would be able to determine such a thing. All right, well... Off of speculation and back to the episode, let's talk about the sandstorm battle. Now, unfortunately for Gregor, once they see the walkers, they realize that they need to turn tail and run, and they have to drop the Jolpa, Big Bongo, or whatever the heck his name was, and head into the sandstorm to kind of play a game of cat and mouse with the three walkers. I'm shocked they didn't try to make one of them trip over the Jupa. I really thought there was going to be some kind of plot device with the Jupa other than it being a stupid fishing instance in the last episode, but apparently not. Well, again, here's another example of Agent Callus making some ill choices. The AT-AT drivers basically tell Callus, hey, you know, we're losing them in the snowstorm. They know in there and he's like, we're losing them because you're slowing down. Go with no thought, no strategy. And he's just going headlong. So another series of bad decisions here. Just open fire and strafe the crap out of the area, right? You've got four walkers. Tear it up and wait for the storm to clear. I don't see how the ATTE got away from him in the first place. They couldn't target that thing from, (laughs) you know, five miles or however long. You know, it it just seemed like. Um, but you know, it kept the, the story going. It was a dope battle. I mean, the, the, the way that it showed how Callus was going to make moves like on a chess piece, you know, they were playing chess in, in this storm without being able to see each other. They were trying to, to figure out each other's moves, which I thought was, was pretty cool. Didn't it scream like uh, Hunt for Red October or any other number of submarine warfare type situations? It really felt like the kind of tactics you would see in a scenario like that because of the lack of visibility. Oh, absolutely it didn't. I kind of liked that. But again, they could have done more with it. And how they didn't trip over it, I'll never know. We have a growing moment here for Ezra, right? He's at the top of the cannon on the ATTE. And they only have one shot because they're going to let, you know, their their location be known in the sandstorm. What does he do? He turns off all the equipment and he uses the force. So that was a pretty cool callback. He also takes his helmet off during a sandstorm, which should be deadly. That bugged me, but... It bugged me, too. <laughs> no, it was it was a good moment in his, like, training. <laughs> no, absolutely, Jen. It bothered me, too. I'm like, 
wow, that's going to hurt. <laughs> I thought it was I thought it was a good growing moment for Ezra. Lest we forget that Ezra is supposed to be the star of the show, right? He's supposed to be the person that we like and are in who's just learning that he's some special Jedi who we all want to be. And we finally get a growing moment. You know, again, Filoni walking that fine line, doing it masterfully. We are still getting our main core characters some time to grow uh, between Ahsoka and and reintroducing the clones and, and all of these battles and stuff like that. So I thought that was a nice little moment there. And speaking of growing moments, after the group is able to disable or destroy one of the walkers, they leave the sandstorm. The rebels are able to leave the clones by taking the phantom and escaping. And Kanan has that growing moment and makes the decision to go back and support them in their fight against the final two walkers. I think that showed something for Kanan. I mean, that he he listened to Ezra, which is something I don't think he typically would have done previously. And he was able to kind of put his biases aside a little bit to, I don't know, help. It's funny because when they're leaving, there was a part of me that wondered whether they were actually going to leave. In the battle itself, let me say, I love the fact that they were at least accurate with how to take down a walker, right? The reason why tripping them worked in the Battle of Hoth is because it would expose the neck. You hit the neck just right, the thing explodes. They handled it much better than the Battlefront video game apparently is, where you can use somehow use Y-wings to drop ion bombs that somehow make armor that's too strong for blasters no longer too strong for blasters or some crap. So they did it in a way that was consistent without needing to resort to tow cables. I was really afraid they were going to try to use that fishing line or something as a tow cable to trip it and just... I don't know, just go into that territory where it was way too much trying to reference the Battle of Hoth. But for Kanan, I think it would have worked either way. I think it was the easy way out to say, you're right, and turn around and go help. I think a tougher choice storytelling-wise would have been for them to make it so that Kanan's trust in Rex was not, yes, we need him, I'm going to turn around, but was, I trust his judgment I'm going to leave while they cover us exactly like he wanted me to. Either way would have shown some measure of trust in Rex. Going back just gets him into the rebellion faster, right? This was my tension moment where I wasn't sure what was going to happen because there was a part of me that thought that maybe they were going to actually leave at least one of the clones, maybe Wolf, maybe crazy off as Rocker Gregor, but certainly not Rex, but somebody would die. And at some point, these characters would come back together again, and then Rex would become part of the rebellion. It felt good from a character standpoint and character development for Kanan for that trust to send him back, but it did feel like it was the easier way of the two choices they could have made. Then again, these two episodes have been kind of flat to some degree, and if it they didn't bring Rex back, I have a feeling there would have been a lot of backlash of people feeling, we went through all of this just to meet him, and now he's not even with us? Maybe it's the only choice they could have made. I had a moment of horror. It's like, oh my god, if they actually kill Rex and the others in this way, I will be so pissed. <laughs> Go that way. But like, I didn't really feel like, maybe it's just because I was being really cynical about this, but I didn't really feel like Kanan had a lot of growth in this. I felt like um, Ezra drops the line of like, what will Ahsoka think if we left her friend to die? And he was just like, oh, son of a, you know, he turns around. But like, I didn't really feel like that was because he cared about them. <laughs> it was more like he didn't want to make Ahsoka be- like angry. 
Oh, man. I thought the clones were goners. And I thought that that I was okay with it. I mean, if you're going to go out, they went out fighting and they went out sacrificing themselves for the greater good. So the other heroes, the rebels, the real stars can escape to fight another day. They sacrifice. I mean, what what as a soldier, what else could you do? except sacrifice your life. That's what they do. And they went out, they were going to go out in a blaze of glory. I was kind of disappointed that they didn't die. Honestly. Bloodthirsty bastard. I mean, how are they going to get, are they going to get cancer now and die? I mean, (laughs) they should have went out in a blaze of glory. They're soldiers. They can go out in another blaze of glory. You're going to introduce them not (laughs) to use them again? Hey, they're going to go out with a lightsaber in their chest, a red one. You'll see. (laughs) Probably so. Well, I do like how they resolved the fight except for that stupid driver running around with his arms flailing in the air that's still that's gonna irk me forever the only thing would have been better is if like he would have they would have shot him in the back or something. <laughs> you know? seriously Barrett, we need to talk you're starting to worry me <laughs> <laughs> so kanan gets back and what plan does he have exactly to save these clones basically he they hijack one of the walkers that apparently only has two drivers in it and no troops. And they fire at Callus's walker, which kind of knocks it off balance, which opens up Rex and the other clones to fire at it because they're pinned, almost pinned beneath it, and they fire at its neck and are able to destroy it. So they're winging it. <laughs> but at least, at least, again, this this falls under the things I saw coming that thankfully didn't happen. When they walked into that that sandstorm, and they were positioned all around the ATTE. Did did anyone else think, oh God, they're going to do that stupid crap and make them shoot each other because they're in the sandstorm and can't see each other? Kind of Looney Tunes crap. No, actually, I didn't. I did that. Didn't occur to me. That would have been horrible, but it didn't occur to me. I, I always thought they were going to do it. I was like, why isn't he shooting? They they obviously know where each other are at. They know that they're in a triangle position. They know they're in the center somewhere. I was surprised that they didn't open fire. I was really confused which ATAT they were in because when when Rex is like, oh, it's just like the old days, he's looking straight ahead. And so I thought they were in the ATAT that he had been butted up against. And instead, they're over there. I was like, wait, why are they? Who's firing on who? Wait, what? So it was weird the way they decided to cut that together. Uh, Jen found the only editing mistake in the whole whole episode. (laughs) I think there's one thing we can all say, though, about the Sandstorm thing. Regardless of how it turned out, you know Barrett wants figures of those new AT-AT drivers that we just got, the cartoon version of them now. Well, I'll take the ATT, the ATAT with the longer legs, the drivers. I'll take... Chinstrap, callus, chinstrap beard, callus. You think the driver figure could have like a button on his back to make his arms flail as he runs? <laughs> I was going to say they have to be super oh, articulated arms so you can pose them like flailing above his head. Oh, so you know we're not getting them. So, <laughs> so at the same time as this is going on, the star destroyer that's supposed to be backing callus up is called away by Vader to meet a shuttle. That was kind of surprising. They just leave, and that's kind of why Callus doesn't have any support, just because Constantine and the Star Destroyer leave to meet up with a new Inquisitor. And 
he's really dismissive of Callus and Constantine going, I'm going to succeed where you two have failed. It'll be interesting to see because it, it seems like he has the same type of lightsaber that the last Inquisitor that we saw had. So maybe that, instead of being something unique, that seems to be kind of standard issue. You know, did we ever get a name of the old Inquisitor, or was he just called the Inquisitor? Because it seems like the new Inquisitors are getting names. Oh, that bothers me so much, dude. This is the fifth brother that we're meeting here. Apparently, it's the whatever the sister, seventh sister, or whatever it is that we're going to meet Sarah Michelle Gellar's character. And, yeah, I'm just, I'm crossing my fingers. I'm hoping and hoping against hope that we are going to finally get a name for the other Inquisitor, because all the while, it was the Inquisitor... All the guides say the Inquisitor. My timeline says the Inquisitor. And now here's all these other ones. Who was he? I doubt we're going to get like an origin story from him. But please, some reference. picture. You don't have to use it in a story. But please, in a reference book or something, give us a name. A 7th, 8th, 5th, 42nd, don't give a crap Inquisitor or brother or cousin or nephew. Give us something to differentiate that Inquisitor from these. Because otherwise he's just the Pa'uan inquisitor can i can i say something about this entry though this introduction of the fifth brother rebels okay i think you're done with this type of introduction i think you've played it out to the extreme and now it's done it's old because first episode spark of rebellion until it aired on abc and got that opening with the inquisitor invader it ended with this kind of scene bum 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 look it's the inquisitor coming soon oh no then, end of fire across the galaxy. Look, it's Vader. He's arriving. Wait for the rest of season two. Oh, no. And now, here's the fifth brother introduced at the end of the episode. Oh, no. They've really kind of played out this let's introduce a new baddie into the situation in the last few minutes to set up something that's happening later. It's over. It's done. Make the next introduction be a surprise mid-episode, which I think it's going to be very, very soon. But seriously, this version played out. They're more creative than that. I just thought he had a cool character design. Um, I don't know if it was, uh, I misread this or not, but it looked like he had one of the, uh, uh, what's called a nictitating membrane, like a sideways swiping eyelid, which I just thought was a cool little detail. But I, I, I have really no opinion on this character yet since he hasn't done anything. And he, he definitely does have a different communication with the Empire, with the officers, because the old Inquisitor was very gentlemanlike. He, he, he talked to Callus. I mean, it wasn't like he talked down to Callus or anything that I can remember. And this guy, he's just coming in. I'm the boss. You know, it's like when the old boss gets fired and the new boss comes in and they're just like, things are going to change around here. You know, and you're like, OK, we'll see that. We'll see how that breaks you. But he kind of has an Embo hat. I kind of got that Embo vibe from him with the hat. And I don't have an impression of him yet. I think he looks tough. I think he talks tough, but with that first Inquisitor going bye-bye, you know, I don't know if I have any hope for these Inquisitors to survive. It seems like anybody could die at any time. I did want to ask you this, Nathan. You know, in the beginning, it, when that entrance where the Inquisitor, the fifth brother, comes off his shuttle, did you notice the ships that were in the bay? I think we have a new ship here. There was a ship that kind of looked like like a cross between a Republic gunship and a TIE fighter. No. Well, wasn't it the police crew? I've got an answer to this one. Those were the gunships that were first introduced in the Ahsoka leaving the Jedi arc. 
on Coruscant, and then we saw them again uh, at the end of season one of Rebels. That those were the those are the gunship. Those are Imperial gunships. Okay, I just saw them parked, and I'm like, oh, like a gunship Tie Fighter type of thing. Oh, it absolutely is. We sh- we actually have a Lego set, so you can go get one. You know, I will. I do feel a little more comfortable with this particular character design and what we're seeing in some of the previews for the other Inquisitor. Uh, not a big fan of the fact that this guy's enough of a baseball fan that he carries around home plate on his head. But the fact that his lightsaber seems to be of the same design as the other Inquisitor, and I believe so is the other new one, if I remember correctly. I like the idea now that these are basically just standard issue, and Vader's is the unique one because it is from a more civilized age. You know, he's got the the sword style one. He doesn't need fancy gimmicks. He can just rock with that, and the Jedi will rock with just that. It always seemed weird to me that the Inquisitor had the cool spinny one that was even more beefed up than Darth Maul. It was the old, you know, it was a Phineas and Ferb thing. Oh, we're making modifications now? It looked like just, oh, a regular lightsaber isn't isn't cool enough. Now we got to do the spinny stuff and whatnot. But if that is a standard issue thing for the Inquisitors and not something unique to him, then maybe it says something more about what the Inquisitors do, their skill level and so forth, when looking at their need for something like that across the board than it did about that one Inquisitor. With the one Inquisitor, it felt like it was Darth Maul all over again. Halo Let's do something extra cool. Let's make it a double blade or Eggs Arcoon for Legends fans. Here, it stops being a gimmick for the first Inquisitor and becomes something that kind of makes more sense, I think. Do we know what species this fifth brother is? Because his, his skin is all black. The reason I ask what a- alien species he's from is because the first Inquisitor was obviously different. And it looks like this new Inquisitor, the seventh sister, is obviously a different species. So there's someone out there who are going to recruit these people. You know what I'm saying? So I, I was just wondering if that the spe- the first Inquisitor, if his species was predisposition to evil, maybe this new Inquisitor, his species is, you know, something like that. Do we Do we know? what the new species name is of this one and the seventh sister. No, we don't. I want to say, isn't the seventh sister Mary Allen? Cause weren't there a lot of people who were questioning whether she was Barris Offy for a while before the voice actress wound up being announced. I thought she well, was something Barris. we'll find out moving to the last scene in this episode. We have the reunion of Ahsoka and Rex. And I got to say, I kind of like this. I, I think this was kind of sweet in a way how, he looks at her and goes, you got old. And of course, mine, in my mind, I'm like, look who's talking. But I think her seeing him and giving him that hug, because who, who knows the last time they, they saw each other. Oh God, this was my the feels moment. I, this whole two episode arc fell kind of flat for me with the exception of the way Kanan reacted to being around the clones again. And this moment right here, I just, I don't know. I Rebels has done a lot of things that have been these awesome moments that give me chills. Like, you know, I'm going to reveal the secret to everybody kind of moments. But one that actually has the emotional resonance of this type, sort of a happy reunion, 
that doesn't seem like it's happening very often. I mean, even the books where they really made me start to get emotional is because somebody's died or something terrible has happened. Not this, where it's this joyful moment, this joyful reunion. It's, it's very subtly done, but it worked. I love this moment. I was really happy that they did it the way they did. I felt like it was tastefully done. I, I always kind of hold my breath with Rebels because I never know if they're going to do something overly goofy. So this was really sweet. And I really love like, that they put a lot of effort into like the expressions on their faces. Like Ahsoka, when she's hugging Rex, she has her face kind of turned towards his like shoulder uh, facing across his his shoulder. And she looks almost like maybe like could be like approaching teary-eyed state like this is a really emotional moment for her and that resonates in this scene i really appreciate that man the imagery here of ahsoka it was almost like ahsoka was back to that 14 year 14 year old little girl that we knew before she let her guard down who knows when's the last time ahsoka was able to let her guard down she completely trusts rex and that says a lot for what happened with Order 66. You know, she still trusts this clone. And the merging of the way that Filoni is able to merge everything that we've gotten before and now into something new, the way that the ghost had attached to the ship. Um, what is the ship? It's not Leia's ship, right? Is it, is it Organa's ship that they, that they dock to? It's just another uh, Corellian Corvette. Well, the way that we, we know that the Corellian Corvette, what it looks like, it still brings the original trilogy feel. But for the ghost to be able to dock to it the way it does, and it's just seamless. It's just a, a metaphor for the way that Filoni's handling this. And it was a teary-eyed moment, Nathan. I have to agree with you. It, it gave me goosebumps. And in, in, in the way that not only did I want to see this happen, did I wanted to see Rex and Ahsoka uh, reunite again. but it gives me a, a, a better appreciation for the Clone Wars, the whole series again. And it makes me want to go back and watch their interactions and, and see how many times they saved each other's butts and, and all the times that they've had to rely on each other to get out of a battle. And they gave each other a hug. It was great. From Baron's heartfelt to my icky, I will say, though, Ahsoka is at this point 32 years old. He says, you got old. Kind of wondering what kind of girls he's looking at that 32 is old. <laughs> you know, he's family, right? They're like, all the clones are like the crazy uncles, you know? And, and the, it was a nice moment. And she, she treated him like family. And that's the way it should have been. Isn't that supposed to be the joke, though? Like, he, he looks really old. So instead of letting her say how old he looks, he's going to make it into a gag and tell her she got old. Isn't that, wasn't that, did I misread that? <laughs> like, I think that, I think that was, I think I was spot on it. I was expecting like a you too old man or something like that. But yeah, it, it definitely worked as the, uh, as the interaction, him saying what we would expect her to say. Did anybody else notice? And maybe this was just me. It seemed as though at different points in this episode, when talking about Rex, Ashley Eckstein has, she's like changed her inflection to a degree in how she speaks as Ahsoka to make her seem at least a little bit older than the last time that we saw her. We know many years have gone by, but like a voice is a voice, right? It changes to a degree, but it's not going to change substantially. But it seems like in what we've heard of her in Rebels, she's trying to give it a more mature tone than what we necessarily would have seen, especially early in the Clone Wars. And it almost feels like or sounds like a couple times when she's talking about Rex or two Rex in this episode, 
she drops her voice back into the way that Ahsoka would have actually sounded in the Clone Wars era, that 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 the girl coming out of the woman, so to speak. Am, am I hearing things, or did you guys catch that kind of thing, too? I didn't catch that. It's completely possible, and I'll go back and listen to it. But Ashley is now doing the voice acting with Dee Bradley Baker again, so they had a dynamic for all those years that they were doing Clone Wars, so it's probably easy to slip back into that when she's working with him again. So I think we all agree that this week's episode was an improvement over last week's, and I want to thank you guys for taking the time to discuss it with me. Always a pleasure. Except when Barrett disagrees. Really. (laughs) (laughs) Jonathan, it's been great. We'll talk to you soon, guys. It's been fun. Looking forward to the next one. And we will be back next week when we discuss our next episode. And until then, long live the Rebellion. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Star Wars Report's Rebels Roundtable. Rebels Roundtable is hosted by... Jonathan, Barrent, Jen, Nathan, Mark, and Dan. Interact with us online at facebook.com slash rebelsroundtable or on Twitter at rebelsround. Also, be sure to visit rebelsroundtable.com when looking for an episode directory of the show. The Rebels Roundtable team is proud to carry on the legacy of Venganza Media's Republic Forces Radio Network podcast. We invite you to visit RepublicForces.com's archive section to hear many of the team members' thoughts on the Clone Wars, Droids, Ewoks, and the Clone Wars micro-series. And check out Star Wars Beyond the Films, the official Expanded Universe podcast of StarWarsReport.com, which you can find among the second Airborne Division podcast network at StarWarsReport.com. Star Wars Rebels and all that the Star Wars universe contains is the intellectual property of the Walt Disney Company, and no infringement is intended. Star Wars Report's Rebels Roundtable is copyright 2014, all rights reserved. Okay, this one's called Relics of the Old Republic, right? Correct. Get some walker-on-walker action. (laughs) Now, do walkers, because they're four-legs, do they do it doggy style? Oh, God. I've seen those those memes floating around with those AT-ATs. How you make baby walkers. (laughs) That's how you you get AT-STs, is that it? Apparently, yeah. You know, ATTEs. Barrett. Hello, hello, hello. That was my clone voice. I've been practicing. Apparently not long enough. What the hell was that? They're Australian clones. <laughs> okay. That was your Australian accent, really? <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure that was any better. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Okay. Ventress would have popped out and stuck it and gave him a kiss, you know, something. No, she's dead. Cool. Now, I guess Callus would have to do it at this point. She's dead. Oh, spoilers! What are you Shit. talking about? Oh, you're killing me. Jonathan! Killing me. Jonathan, oh. what do you mean? <laughs> well, I would have to Jonathan. edit that out. <laughs> <laughs> Not for my brain. You can't edit it for my timeline. Dare I ask what this is in so I can When read you it post now. on my timeline. Dark Disciple. 
You oh. cannot delete it, okay? Oh, man. Oh, well, you man. don't Thanks, read the Jonathan. books anyway. <laughs> oh. okay. I might have. I could have. Hey, you told us that you was, don't read the books. Does that mean I would never Jonathan. read the books? I've just crushed yeah, Don't try to justify yourself. Father Invader too. Don't try to get all salty and justify your spoiler on me. <laughs> that was good. Uh, that, uh, was, uh, uh, that was nice. Do we know what species this fifth brother is? Because his his skin is all black. What is he? Well, you just said it yourself. He's a brother. He's got to be all black. No. <laughs> Oh, no, okay, and great. in Star yeah, Wars, I need to edit in, that out. Hey, thanks, I appreciate it. Well, in Star that. Wars, you, I'm just saying, in Star Wars, you got Lando, you got Mace, you got the dude that was the X-wing pilot, you got the one dude on Cloud City. He's probably the actual fifth brother in the series. Sometimes I think you you test our jokes that jo- the jokes before we start. <laughs> that one, that one actually, I was like, you know what, I wasn't going to include it, but I think he just handed it to me. The yeah, fact I did. that you said he looks all black, I was like, oh come on, this is like having a team named well, the All Blacks. What, what's what, Where it's mostly reason? white people. What the hell? <laughs> Will you please stop talking? <laughs>